This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. A lot of people saying that a coach with a couple decades worth of pretty top-notch winning experience deserves a little bit more benefit of the doubt. I'll just say this about Urban Meyer. My experience, coaches who come in and challenge the toughness and courage and try to stage mano-a-mano battles between players don't tend to last all that long. I'm with you there. I, I, I think that there is a case to be made that this could completely backfire. I'm just looking at Urban Meyer, and I feel like he has been able to MacGyver together things in Utah, Bowling Green. I want to see what happens before I make a judgment. And that Trevor Lawrence card is, is a huge one for him to play. If he, if he did not have it, Danny, I think I would be right there with you. Well, here it is. We got Brock Heward who will join us, and he's got an even better perspective on all of this. It's time for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your host. Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Paul Gallant, winner. Yeah. <laughs> you know exactly what we're talking about. I subscribe to the theory. Let's go. Winner. I do know what you're talking about. I had a, a few of my buddies uh, send me that, and, and Ben Hartsock in particular, who I do some radio with, who has a, a very strong take on that and feeling on that. And yeah, What do you it would, think? Yeah. Well, I mean, Pete keeps score, right? Doesn't he have a board up there to compete every day? Isn't that Pete's deal? But he certainly doesn't do it individually. Right. He, you, doesn't, you know. he doesn't line up two guys and say, okay, Tim Tebow. Versus Chris Manhurts, one-on-one special teams block winner, Manhurts. Yeah, I would say. Wouldn't you say Tom Coughlin may have been the last to have true, genuine, multi-Super Bowl success and do it from that hard-nosed, just demand and challenge your toughness. You're late if you're five minutes early. I mean, just, just, just a military. You know, and, and Urban loves the military. And, you know, has used, and, and I've done a bunch of his games over the years, and and he loves, and really, I, I think in many ways, tries to set up his program with that kind of discipline, breaking his team up into pods, as the SEALs would do. And, and you know, that that is his approach. I, I would say, Danny, I'm a little bit winner Paul, because I want to see if this can work. You know, I, I do, do I believe it will? It better be authentic. It better be through and through with every single fiber of your organization as it was with Coughlin in those years of success. And the guy doing it and leading it, he better he better equally be yoked in that and show the same kind of grit and toughness that and early and determination as Urban has. It's it's why it's led, frankly, I think, to some of his burnout and his health conditions over the years. So Oh, I thought it was just that he stops winning or gets accused of cheating and then <laughs> I quits. Think, I think there's many many fantastic tentacles uh, to this. And you know what? I'll, yeah, I'll me, take the popcorn and sign me up to watch. L- let, me, let me raise my hand and say this. Because Urban has shown such a great tendency for objectivity when it comes to personnel selection, 
there's been no hint of favoritism <laughs> or, I don't know, giving a guy who hasn't been in the league in eight years a spot on the active on the training camp roster so he could compete at a position that he's never played. I mean, Robert would never do something like that. I totally trust his objective measurement of one-on-one blocking <laughs> matchups to determine roster spots. Good. I like it. I like I I, I love it, O'Neill. So, are you rooting Urban, for Urban Myers, Urban Myers? Urban Myers living right next to Joe Judge in Harry High Schoolville. <laughs> you know, Brock. You mentioned Coughlin, and yeah. this actually makes me even a little more skeptical too. If you haven't listened to Akeem Talib's podcast, it's great, and he had Jalen Ramsey on a couple of weeks ago, and Ramsey just talked about how the Tom Coughlin experience basically unified the entire team against Coughlin. <laughs> You know, with all the stupid things like about that they felt were dumb about getting there five minutes early, things that maybe would have been practical for getting a roster in check in the 1990s or something like that, but maybe not necessarily the case anymore. So it it does. It definitely does have the potential to come back on him. It's just I I, I think that he's he's done so well at every single level. And now you're giving him a possible once in generation quarterback. I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to be there like Pete Carroll for 12 years. Mm-hmm. and sustain multi-double-digit win seasons year after year after year after year. I don't think it's sustainable. It wasn't sustainable as he climbed the ladder and all those other spots. College a little different, right, because he did climb from Bowling Green to Utah to Florida, and then obviously after multiple national titles left, won a national title and had, what, a 900 winning percentage at Ohio State over the course of his career. But, you know, not not sustainable for decades and decades. And remember, Jacksonville – you know, did did win. I mean, he he did win when he started with Mark Brunell and Tony Baselli and those guys. That's true. And, they and did. Yeah. Organ- to AFC yeah. Championship game, what, his second year? Correct. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not going to say it is doomed from the beginning. And I think there can be, if the talent is right, and, and as much as they have lost and some of those players there have lost and not tasted success – you can you can change a lot of opinions by winning and and wow this this works man this this stuff works it's a pain in my you know what but it works but the minute it starts to slide Danny to your point you start to lose I think he'll be out and I don't think it's overall for years and years and years and years and years sustainable at this level all right question two all right Brock Lavar Arrington made the point that should Seattle lose or not enjoy the success that everybody's hoping for this year? He thinks that Russ's desire to potentially move on might be resuscitated. Here's here's the clip from LeVar Arrington. He was on Speak for Your Pizza uh, earlier this week. Time, because he was the on first what? time there's some adversity this year, it's like, oh, there's no questions. It's a kumbaya moment for the Seattle Seahawks. That's great. But lose a game. Have a couple interception games. You're the reason why they lost. What's going to happen? Oh, you remember all those things Russ was saying about who he would go play for if he were to be traded? You remember how things were put out there about how uh, Pete Carroll doesn't have to answer to anybody in the organization? Oh, you best believe it's on speed, copy, paste, print. All right? Pressure bust pipes. Russ, you need to know that the pressure does and know your ceiling. LeVar with some strong words. Sheesh. That's all. Speak for your pizza? Yeah, that's we, we, we called it. it's That covers, I think that gets for most of their shows. Because I can't ever, like, first take. There was cold pizza. There's, there's first speak pizza. for yourself. Yeah, there's, there's, there's all sorts of ones. But I think speak for your pizza just, just summarizes them all. We've basically accepted that this is probably Aaron Rodgers last year in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. 
we've turned the page and said everything's resolved between Russ and Seattle. And I think that's true for this year. Yep. Do, do you think there's... Think there's some merit to that, man. I, I was kind of nodding along with some of that. Now, pressure also makes diamonds. Mm-hmm. As Mark Jones used Ooh. to love to say, it bursts pipes, but it makes diamonds. And so it, it can cut both ways. Russell has lived under an immense amount of pressure for a long time here yeah. uh, early on because of team dynamics and, and everything else. So I, I don't think it's going to be a pressure. But, I, yeah, if there is losing, if there is back-to-back losing, back-to-back-to-back losing, something that's never – I don't is, – is Russ ever lost three games in a row in Seattle? I don't think he has in 10 years. Will some of that arise? Yes, it will. Will, will it arise from Pete and Russ? No. Could it arise with a small, tiny fragment in the locker room? Possibly, though that's not Bobby's nature. That's No. I don't think it's Dwayne's nature, but will it arise from the people that this affected the most – and those were the fans on the outside. Yes, yes. I, I think you will hear, you will hear that from fanatics. You, you know, just as they didn't love, uh, and I think he lost some Q rating in that, and, and most of the response. And I don't think this was just Twitter, but most of it's like, come on, man, this isn't your brand. This isn't who you are. Salt likes to say you didn't even do this particularly well, right? In 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 that process. So I don't think it'll be Pete. I don't think it'll be John Schneider. I don't think it'll be Russell. I don't think it'll be Dwayne, Bobby. I don't think it'll be any of those on the inside. But I do think there will be pressure and more added noise from the outside if there is some of that, as LeVar said, unprecedented losing. That brings us into question three. It was a rough day, Brock, for the offense yesterday. You had the... I think it was two interceptions, four fumbles. There were bad snaps. There were bad snap exchanges. There were bad handoffs. There were overthrows. And there was a moment in practice that really cracked me up. And it's, I just think, you know, good old-fashioned trash talk. But after Russ held on to the ball for a while and took off and scrambled, Bobby Wagner told him, quote, you're going to have to pass sometime, end quote, as he ran back to the huddle. He was holding the football on long. It's regular to see Mm -hmm. bad days at the office for an offense in training camp, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, you're going to absolutely have clunkers. I'm curious on a couple fronts. Um, And by the way, quickly back to question two, (laughs) which you said leads to three. Can you imagine if Sherman were still here? I wish he was for that moment. Because, (laughs) right? I mean. If it, or you know just just some of the the tenor of that Legion of Boom and and you know their voice being heard on that like they would have ramped up I think some of that pressure internally I don't necessarily I'll stand by what I said don't necessarily think that's the makeup of this crew Paul to answer your question I watched your video yesterday enjoyed the two and a half minutes of it as you were processing were you in your car in the parking lot of the yes. Seahawks facility yeah needed the air conditioning yeah you did and you needed just some time to kind of process it and you, and you laid it all out there and yeah there were clunkers and there were days that Mike Holmgren blew the whistle start this crap over and, and didn't say that word you know like this is this is ridiculous what was the tenor on the field? Did That's Pete, what surprised me. Because did Pete lose it at all? No. Did Shane didn't. Waldron, his first real adverse day, did he And I guess you, you wouldn't expect either of them to because that's not necessarily in their DNA. And based off of what we're learning from Shane Waldron, it sounds like he also is kind of affable. So I thought at some point 
they might pause things and say, hey, let's let's figure this out. Maybe not in a Bill O'Brien yell at everyone kind of style. Yes. There was a moment where everyone came together, but I don't know if that was just because they were switching, you know, what was going on at practice. Um, so, yeah, I did not get that sense on the field. And there's not that voice. There is. There's no Doug Baldwin. D- Doug lost his mind. Dwayne Brown is, is holding out. He would have, if he's on the field, I bet you he he lets it be known. He didn't like that nonsense, right? I, I bet he he barks a little bit. That's not Tyler Lockett. Uh, DK would be next to me, is, is, is hopefully a guy. I mean, that's where you want it. I don't want it from Pete. I don't want it from Shane Waldron. I don't need it from Mike Solari. I, I would hope on a day like that, and, and maybe it's done internally. Maybe Russ gets in that room in the offensive meeting yesterday and is like, enough, that, that, that can't happen. That won't ever happen again. But, you know, that, that speaks to, you know, I think some voice that needs to resonate and take some ownership on that side of the ball that you may have one of those in training camp. You better not see another one. It's, it's always such a funny sort of process of watching a new offense and you get worried about how it's going. There's a little bit of this that's inevitable, though, right? No and maybe doubt even about a good it. sign, right? You got a new, you got a new offensive coordinator. Russ, Russ had they changed offensive coordinators from Daryl Bevel slash Tom Cable to Brian Schottenheimer. But even Pete said seventy percent of our playbook remained the same. This is this it's is different. A, this is a, this is a new offense. There's there, no there doubt probably about are going to be some stumbles. Oh, I, I would bet every dollar in my savings account. There's going to be, and you know, last year they came out gangbusters, right? First half of the year, historic stuff numbers wise. Russell's QB ratings and explosive plays and yards. I mean, it was just un- unbelievable. Um, and I think continuity in that helped. And obviously, the second half of the year, you know, a lot of that deteriorated. And unfortunately, it you know, or fortunately, it coincided with the defense coalescing and getting better and in and, and winning a bunch of those games by their play on that side. But yeah, there will be. I said that to you guys a couple weeks ago. There, there will absolutely be stops and starts and struggles. It is a new language. Everybody's trying to get on board. There's new personnel, and frankly, there is a first-time play caller. First time since his BB&N days that he's in the in the booth calling the shots, and there is a learning curve like ours in an airplane that that will come, and that he's going to have to have under his belt to grow and develop. So, yeah, I, I there's there's going to be a learning curve to climb. There's no question in my mind. That is blue forty two. Brock, the Tom Coughlin example has me thinking because I've generally the the guy that I always point to is when when Mike Singletary sent Vernon Davis off the field in the middle of that game and it was against the Seahawks. I remember my reaction just being that's that's not going to work. Correct. Like you can't you can't you can't do that. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna publicly challenge your players and it's going to yep. be about toughness and manhood and authority, like you're not going to last. Like who you can't. Were, be, who were the only ones, Danny, collegiately, that have come from the college game? And had NFL success. Jimmy Johnson. And Pete he Carroll. was tough. He, He's tough. He, he was cutthroat. He was business and it was cold hearted and he was super, super demanding on guys. It was Pete Carroll. I'll say this about Jimmy though. Jimmy was that way, but Jimmy wasn't that way in public. Right. Like Jimmy wasn't Jim, Jimmy wasn't all those stories came out afterwards about the guys that he would cut and sort of to send a message like in public. He did not he did not make a big show of how 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 demanding my system is like he did that all behind closed doors. I really think that there's something about the fact that Urban's doing this publicly and mm. that Joe Judge is doing this publicly that 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 that's the real problem with it. Not the actual like how to try to create toughness and accountability. Yeah. 
It's doing it in your system, being out in front of it. Like, this is the way we're going to do things and winners and losers. Sure. I would say, too, I brought that up with Jimmy and Pete. What did they also have? Incredible success collegiately. They brought a track record of national championships. This is mm-hmm. the way you do it. And Urban Meyer, unlike others that have come to the college game and, and flamed out, you know his success in multiple national titles at multiple places. I mean, he's bringing that kind of pedigree to it. It's not Joe Judge. It's not you know coach up in Philly, Nick Cesario. It's not any of that. I I got a track record. You know maybe at the other level, but so did Jimmy, and so did Pete. And I know how to win. And um and I think that that can carry. As I said, man, on the short term, can carry a bunch of weight. He is Brock Heward. We're going to check in with him again next week. We'll have some. Football games, some some preseason football to talk about. Hall of uh, Fame first... game. You excited, Brock? Yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> and I think I told you guys I'm more excited to actually be there Sunday, Sunday night at, at Peyton's induction. So flying out. Ooh, that'll be cool. Sunday. And so, yes, uh, hopefully we'll find some time. I may have to be a little later on Monday um, or earlier or what have you, but we will check in from Canton uh, and fill you in on how all that. I'm really looking forward to that. Seeing old teammates I've not seen in 20 years and see Tom Moore, see coaches, see just, you know, the people. And it's quite a class that's going into Canton on Sunday night. So uh, a bunch of stories coming your way next week from that experience for sure. Have fun. Travel safe, Brock. Okay, boys. We'll do. See you. He is Brock Heward. The Mariners uh, open up a four-game series tonight in New York against the Yankees. We're going to talk to Jerry Depoto here. That's coming up in just over 10 minutes. Our training camp coverage is presented by Precore Home Fitness out at Seahawks training camp each and every day of practice. They have today off. The series against New York, this is one of the teams, whether they're going to have to hold them off or pull ahead of them, the Mariners find themselves right in the middle of, of a chase that includes the Oakland A's. It includes the Toronto Blue Jays, the New York Yankees. I I guess there's the possibility that either Boston or Tampa could fall back. Whichever one of those teams doesn't win the AL East, but right now those those two teams are out in front. The Mariners are the one team that didn't make the big rental pushes. They didn't they didn't they didn't add a guy like Rizzo did to the Yankees or Jose Barrios they did in 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 Toronto. The, the Mariners have really kind of positioned themselves of, we think we helped ourselves, but we're really still looking a year or two down the line. Does does that increase or lessen the pressure they face in this series, Paul? I think it increases it for the guys who are here now and mm-hmm. for the short term. And I, I would say if, if Kyle Seeger wants to make the playoffs with the Mariners, then this is, this is where he's going to have to step up. This is where... I would imagine all of them will. This is a huge series. New York is at a spot right now, too, where they are weak. Even though they are playing pretty well, they are playing the Orioles. They've won 7 of 10. They are a team that is dealing with some guys who are not able to pitch, Garrett Cole specifically, because of COVID. So you got to take advantage of whatever opportunities are given to you. And, you know, this is one of those series where I, th- I think that to keep yourself in this race, you're going to have to win 3 of 4. And I was looking ahead, Danny, at some of the schedules. Toronto has a has a pretty difficult stretch ahead, but down the stretch, I mean, they have a lot of games against the Orioles. A lot of games. And, you know, with George Springer healthy and, and, and some of the things that they have done of late, like that is a team where I feel like you're going to have to hold them off. And, and it's the same with New York, who always has the potential to get hot the second half of the year. It's weird as we look at this marathon. You must, I think, win three of these four that's a high bar 
Yeah. I feel like if they win two of two of the four, you come back with a winning record over this week. The three games in Tampa, the four games with the New York Yankees, but the, the schedule doesn't favor them. And they they're also look these are it's because it's such a mess of teams that kind of creates a higher bar. It's not like you just have to stay ahead of them. It's like no, you're going to have to hold off or outkick both Toronto and the Yankees, and you're going to have to catch Oakland. And and that, that makes it, the American League is just much tougher this year for squeaking yeah. into the playoffs. Right, and, and look, this isn't, you know, if, if they come out of the weekend splitting the series, we're both going to be happy, right? Yes, I mean, we, yeah, we it's, would, not, it's been good. Yes. But it, this, is, this is about if they want to make a playoff push, this is, this is what needs to happen. And, you know, they, they have more games against the A's. They have more games against the Astros, who are a wagon. I mean, that was the one team we didn't mention as a, even a potential of falling back into the wild card race. Yeah, the the different the different guys that they picked up because I think I said earlier that the A's picked up uh, Starling Castro, Starling Marte. I always get those dudes. Confused. I actually confused them too, so I uh, that that happens. That but but the different additions that the teams have made. If the Mariners are going to make that, are you looking at veterans like Seager and Hanniger's been consistent throughout the whole season? So I don't want to make it seem like oh they really need to get more from Hanniger because he's done such a great job. Is it younger player like Jared Kelnick that you really think needs to find his footing? They should be getting Kyle Lewis back here pretty soon. Where where does the increased production come from? If the, if they're going to make the playoffs, they're going to have to hit better than they have because I think their pitching's been pretty good, especially recently. Where where's that offense going to come from? Toro number one. I yes, think, I think that Toro's addition has been really something else. But also, Ty France has to maintain this level. And someone actually put together, I think, over the last 140 games for Ty France, and he is hitting something like 285 with yep. 17 home runs and I think like 70 RBIs or so. He has to keep this level of play up as well. You need to have some consistency. And honestly, this is the first time that I think we can say that there is a bunch of consistency in the Mariners lineup. Remember at the beginning of the year how inconsistent it was? I mean, who are you? It was, it was just Mitch Hanniger for a bit of time because Ty France got hurt so often. Yeah, and then Seager was hitting, and the bottom of your lineup wasn't giving you any. No, it was like awful. The, bo- the bottom of your lineup was a non-entity, and that's definitely not the case. They've started getting more production. There's still room for improvement, clearly. But Toro's been a huge boost. I, I keep going back to Kelnick. I keep going back to Kelnick and saying that the guy that's probably got the greatest distance between where he's at right now and what his ceiling is, and maybe that's, maybe that's an unrealistically, I, just, I think he's going to get hot. I how, think he's going to get hot. How do you foster that? How, because I'm with you in that if it happens, I mean, wow, let's see what happens. And clearly Scott Service is saying it's possible, but you also have this dynamic of a young guy who has shown himself to be a bit temperamental thus far this year, which might be his biggest strength and weakness simultaneously. I think it's to emphasize process, and I think that's what they're doing when they're talking about the at-bats that he's having and the way he's fighting, and even when he falls behind getting the pitcher and making them work to get back. Can you work to get back into the count? If you're 0-2, 1-2, can you work to get back into the count and make it 2-2, make it 3-2, not give anything away? I think to emphasize process and not make it be about, okay, when is the results going to start coming? But no, trust your process. Get your process right, and the results are going to follow. I think that's how you do it. We've got the Mariners general manager, Jerry Depoto. He joins us next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We're going to have Jerry Depoto joining us here in just a second. 
his weekly visit with us. And in the weeks since the trade, we've seen a little bit of a roller coaster. But like the Mariners have throughout this season, it seems like they've corrected things. They win two out of three against the defending American League champions. They they went six and one against the Tampa Bay Rays. And now they go to the New York Yankees, who are one of the teams that they are going to be sort of fighting with down the closing stretch of this season. The bullpen, the, the, the lineup looks deeper. I think we can say that for sure. I think the question is, how, is the bullpen as good as it was before the trade deadline? JT Chagua and Kel, Kendall Graveman both gone, but now you have Joe Smith and and Diego Castillo in there. And so far, you, you had a couple. You had two really tough results in Texas, but it seems like Seattle's shaking it off. Is it quantity over quality? I mean, you bring in you bring in two arms, and and look, losing Chagua, I, I I can understand why some maybe are upset about that. I know that that's been something that we haven't really touched on as much as we've brought up that of Kendall Graveman and his departure. But I, I I do think that by adding long-term to the bullpen, you did gain something. It's just a matter of, is Diego Castillo going to be able to maintain what he's been for the last three years or so? I, I agree with... I think long-term, this bullpen is better. Diego Castillo is a back-of-the-pen arm. And, and he's someone that you're getting because the Tampa Bay Rays, who are allergic to payroll... Didn't didn't want to didn't want to keep him through his arbitration eligibility. I think what we've seen so far, like getting Diego Castillo and having three more years where you have sort of the, you're making the decision on whether or not to employ him. I think that's a, I think that's a really positive long term step for this team. In the short term, Kendall Graham is a pretty good pitcher, and you you saw that he pitched was it two nights ago? Not last night, the night before in Los Angeles. He's nasty. Like, he's a really really tough relief pitcher. He's someone that is that is very difficult to go up against. Is your bullpen better right now than it was? I, I can't say that, but I also can't say demonstrably. Oh, this is it, it's worse too. And I see the I see the long term decision making process. I think that's been pretty consistent. You brought in a great bat in Abraham Toro. Yes, I mean I I feel like there's a lot of potential here, and just given the way that. Jerry DePoto felt about Ty France, which he had told us about. They had been looking at him for a couple of years. I, I would be feeling pretty good about anybody that he's had his eye on for a couple of years, and Abraham Toro is is definitely one of those guys. Seeing the process that they followed too, which is to identify younger players who've potentially been blocked in other organizations. That was the case with Ty France, right? He's on a team that's got an infield that includes Manny Machado. And and, right. and Fernando Tatis and in Houston, when you're looking at Altuve and Bregman and the different guys that are there, finding Abraham Toro and bringing him here where there is a chance to play, it's paid immediate dividends. Jerry Depoto is with us here on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. Jerry, thanks a lot for joining us. Hopefully, hopefully this week is a little less crazed than when we talked to you at this point last week, where we were in the final 24 hours of the trade trading window. It would hard, be hard to imagine how it could be more crazed, but I, I, I would take less crazed is, is very much invited. Abraham Toro has had a great first week for the Mariners, and I, I know that acquisitions and deals like this are made for the long term and not for the immediate. The immediate, but still, it's got to be pretty gratifying to see that kind of production come when when he gets the end of, gets 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 an opportunity to play, and kind of this is what you had envisioned or hoped for from him. Yeah, I mean, he's been everything we could have hoped for and more. I don't know if it's reasonable to expect that he'll perform at the 1,400, 1,500 OPS level for forever, but he has been phenomenal, and he does a lot of really good things. You know, he's a, he's a switch hitter. He manages the strike zone really well. He's a guy who doesn't strike out much in an era where 
they strike out a lot. He's got power from both sides. He's got hitability from both sides, and he plays multiple positions. He's an above-average runner. And, you know, like I said last week when we when we had the discussion uh, in the midst of the trade deadline, that he was he was a player that we have pursued for quite some time. And, you know, when, when the shot's open, you have to take it. And we're really glad he's a Mariner. What's your process like for identifying players that are in other organizations that maybe are blocked from getting onto the everyday lineup? Because, of course, we, we had the same conversation, too, last year with Ty France, who was another guy that you had had your eye on for a couple of years you know and this uh, you could go all the way back to to the 2016 headed into 17 with mitch hanniger very similar process and it begins with our analysts and, and often i could say it begins and, and is driven by our analysts by jesse smith and joel Furman and spencer weisberg and forrest diamond and, and our crew in the front office you know, Austin Yamada, they, they identify players by skill set. And, you know, they're looking at underlying data. They're looking at exit velocities. They're looking at trends in their offensive lines as players move from level to level. And we have a, a group of video scout analysts who, who then take that information. They, they couple it with, you know, video. And then we scout the players' lives. And, you know, that combination of events leads us to putting together a target list for players who make sense for us. And Abraham's been on that list for quite some time. We're talking to Jerry DePoto, our, our weekly visit with him. Jerry, we, we've got, a, I guess, it's a little more than a third of the season left. There's four games in, at Yankee Stadium beginning tonight. What's your hope for this team the rest of the way? That we continue to compete the way we have. I, I think it has been phenomenal for for our group to have this experience at this stage in, in our development and, you know, to, to be involved even in a, in a, in a wild card pursuit and, and this kind of environment day in and day out in environments like we were just in, in Tampa or versus Houston now headed to see the Yankees. We'll see Toronto in the next homestand. You can't replicate these, these situations just by snapping your fingers and, We've put ourselves in a position where these games mean so much for us, not just for the results in 21, but what it does to help a young group gain experience that will be incredibly valuable moving forward. We're hoping for some reinforcements to be back on the field in the near future. What can you tell us about Kyle Lewis? So Kyle, we're hopeful. You know, he's now taking – he's doing baseball activity. So, you know, he's, he's hitting down in the cages and, and starting to, to go through some more explosive athletic movements. We're hopeful that we have him back by month's end, but you know, again, we are not going to put a, a hard date on it quite yet. But we are, you know, cautiously optimistic that it's moving along at the right pace, which is a really good thing for us. I, I think that gets lost in the wash a little bit. Is that we at some point we will get last year's rookie of the year back. We did just get back Jake Fraley, who's who's rocking a 400 on base, and and sometime when we get home in this next homestand, I believe we'll see Justice Sheffield, and and Justin Dunn is probably not too far behind. Jerry, what have you learned about your team? I was asking what you hoped for. What 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 has this group shown you? We're more than 100 games into the season. What what have they shown you so far? Gritty group. They're a gritty group. They don't give up. Uh, fast learners is the best way to put it. And you know, it, it's sometimes because these have been names that we have spoken about for a number of years now or that have been on prospect landscapes 
or who've been learning in the big leagues, it's sometimes easy to forget how young they are. <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, it's, we are one of the youngest teams in the league and watching them grow and bounce back and occasionally get punched in the nose and then get up off the mat and, and charge back into the ring. It's, it's been so fun to watch and a refreshing style of baseball. And, and again, I think that's going to, to portend bigger things as we move forward. You've talked to us over the course of the year saying that young players don't necessarily progress at a linear pace. They don't get better incrementally day by day, that there are leaps at certain parts. I'm not asking you to identify the guy who's made the biggest leap, but who's someone that you've seen make make one of those jumps over the course of this season? I think there's a few of them. One, and and we can't really express that that we had a lot to do with it, (laughs) is Chris Flexen and and his re-entry uh, into Major League Baseball after spending a year in Korea. He has delivered and, and been terrific for us. And and that's kind of the, the nonlinear development that, that we're talking about. He's 26 years old. And, you know, we're playing his 26-year-old season. I believe he just turned 27. But uh, he has made huge strides for us. We've seen a big step from Jake Fraley. And, you know, where Jake was over the course of the, the previous calendar year is, is not even close to where he is today. And you can see it in the confidence in every single at bat, which is, you know, for us, it's a huge win organizationally. And for him personally, he's, he has established himself as a player who can be a major league regular and, and do things to help championship teams win. As far as that grittiness that you mentioned, how much credit does Scott Service deserve for that? And I guess when it comes to what you do in the front office and what he does in the clubhouse. How does your relationship work with him, especially through a week that as we both know was rather chaotic last week? Yeah, I think it, to answer the first question, Paul, it counts a lot. Scott has been awesome in the clubhouse and, and I don't think that's a new thing in 2021. This is what Scott has done since he's been here. Really is he has made adjustments on the fly. He, too, uh, in the early years, was learning as he went. And, and I think now you're seeing, you know, the full mature version of Scott as a major league manager. And, and I feel very confident that, that the way our clubhouse works is a reflection of his leadership and, and, in a lot of ways, his personality. He's gritty. He wants to dive in. And, and I think you saw it in the, in the Houston series. I think you saw it in the Oakland series. He's got that, you know, which is a lot of fun. And, you know, what we do as a general rule is it, our relationship, we will talk through the, the, the way the roster works, what we need, what we have, how we might, you know, put the players in the best position to succeed. And when it comes time to make a lineup, when it comes time to, to, to make pitching changes, when it comes time to manage the clubhouse space, that's his job. And I don't get in the way. And, and when it comes time to, to manage rosters and, and, do the things that, that we do in the front office. It is very much a collaborative effort, and Scott is part of every decision and move that we make, and he's there on the front end of it so that nothing takes him by surprise. He is Jerry DePoto, uh, Mariners general manager, team 2-1, uh, and one, went 6-1 and one against the defending AL champs this year on to New York where they'll face the Yankees beginning tonight. Jerry, we always appreciate your time, and we're looking forward to seeing what your team does this weekend. Yeah, me too. It's it's going to be a fun weekend. You know, this is this is a chance to go in. The, you know, the biggest stage. It's New York in a, in a pennant race in August, and that's a great chance for for really experiences you can't find anywhere else. So I'm looking forward to it. 
It should be a blast. Yeah, Thanks yeah. very much, Jerry. Thanks, we'll talk Jerry. to you next week. Thanks, guys. That is the Mariners' general manager. Going into 2021, the Seahawks' defense, is it worthy of your trust? We'll talk that and react to Jerry DePoto coming up next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. On the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like a lot of people trust the Seattle Seahawks defense. Should they? No. I mean, let's be honest. No, not at this point. Now, maybe they can earn some trust over the course of the year, but they didn't do well in the first half of last season. Second half they did well, but it was against a bunch of quarterbacks who weren't very good. So I can see why going into the year we're seeing rankings like from Shield Capetia, who ranks the Seahawks defense 22nd in the NFL. I think that's appropriate. And Pro Football Focus is the Seahawks defensive line at 29th, which is a little low, but... I mean, are you really going to argue against some of these spots that they're being placed amongst the league? I believe that it's easier to predict how good an offense will be than how good a defense will be. I, I, I think between the and a large part of that, I mean, I'm making it sound, a large part of that is because the quarterbacks, right? Like, it's much easier. The quarterback, yeah. the, the quarterback yeah. singularly has a larger impact on the game than any other position. And so I think that you can, you can put teams into buckets and sometimes, you'd be wrong, like last year I would have been wrong about the ceiling on Buffalo's offense. Because Josh, Josh Allen was, took, took, a, took a huge leap. But I think, I think offense is more predictable than defense. I, I think that defensive players and their reputations, there's a larger disconnect between the reputation a defensive player has and actual performance and importance on the field that, than there is at other spots. And I, I, I think defense, I think we constantly have examples of, oh man, that defense is really good. Where at the beginning of the year, everybody's like, well, they don't have any stars. They don't have anybody. I, I feel like defense is something that is tougher to project. What should we be looking for when we try to project a defense? Is it new talent? Because I would say that for the most part, if a defense is exactly the same as it was the year before, that's not necessarily an indicator that it's going to end up being that same level the next season. I like to look at average age of starters. I, I, I like to look at what is the age distribution of your starters? Do you have an older defense? The, the second thing that I is what's their pass rush going to be like? I, I, think those are, I think those are the two most important factors in evaluating a defense. I think turnovers come from pass rush. I, th- I think pass pressure has more than anything else to do with creating turnovers. And I think, I think you can get by in the, in the NFL with young guys that run around and make a ton of and cause a ton of chaos on defense. I, I look at average age, and I look at pass rush. And some of the young guys that you're adding in, Daryl Taylor, who, look, I, I don't want to make too much out of what I see in these pass rushing drills at, at training camp. And I'm out there, but I have no idea what to make of it because sometimes you, you feel like, all right, he might have gotten a sack, he might have gotten a quarterback hit. But whatever the case, Daryl Taylor, he looks fast. I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to translate into him actually being able to you know, get around uh, offensive linemen, tackles, or anything like that. But that is an influx of new talent. Jordan Brooks is going to be on the field more. Yep. That means, of course, huge deal. More speed. Huge, huge, huge deal that you're going to go from having one of the older linebacking groups in the league just two years ago to having one where Daryl Taylor's in his second year, but is really a rookie, and Jordan Brooks is in his second year. At cornerback, you're probably the same. I'm, I'm guessing it's a Kella Weatherspoon left cornerback, right cornerback DJ Reed. Marquise Blair is what I don't know what to mm-hmm. make of. And I, I, I know some people have been seeing promising things out of him at training camp. I, I have maybe not been focusing on him as much, but I, I don't necessarily... 
I haven't noticed him the same way that I noticed him in last year's training camp. Is their pass rush going to be better or worse than it was? And maybe it's a question of, is it going to be first-half pass rush or post-Carlos Dunlap acquisition pass rush? What's their pass rush going to be like? Kind of depends on how much they blitz, doesn't it? I mean, are they going to send Jamal Adams a lot? Because it felt like when they sent Jamal Adams, the pass rush was good, uh, in addition to when they had Carlos Dunlap. It, it was like a double, two additions that we saw all of a sudden turn this defense from wretched into passable. Yeah, it was okay. It was, maybe, it was, it was, it was inching toward good, right? The second half of the season, they didn't play very many good quarterbacks, but it was inching toward good. Kerry Hyder should help. Yes. Right? But you lost Jaron Reed, who was a starter. Carlos Dunlap being there for the entire season, I think, will make a big difference. I think that puts Benson Mayo in a much more effective spot than he was to start last season. I think Benson Mayo is at his best when he is coming in in a nickel pass rush situation and not someone you're counting on as a starter. With Jaron Reed, by the way, I I, I don't think it's going to be that much of a loss. I, you know, I, I, I know a lot of play, people like him. He's not, he's not a bad player by any means, but I, I feel like you know, that season that he had where he had all those sacks, that was the anomaly season compared to the other ones. You know, when, and I'm not going to act like I'm someone who knows what's going on in the trenches particularly well, but I, I just never felt like he jumped off the screen in the way that you would think somebody who had 10 sacks is capable of. It's impossible, though, to say that a guy you were willing to pay $8 million to play this season, it's impossible to say just losing him for nothing makes you better. Yeah, right. True. I mean, they Unless were going to pay Hyder's better or something like that. But you're right. That's not what. That's not the move that you made. You didn't add Kerry Hyder to you know to replace Jaron Reed. You you added Hyder and then lost Reed because right. you decided it wasn't worth it to go through the salary cap shenanigans because he was insisting on a new deal. Like you were willing to pay him eight million dollars. You're not better for losing him. You're not better for having lost that. Now maybe it'll turn out you can spend that eight million dollars in a different way and and make more more sense as opposed to to trying to do some calisthenics to get below the cap. But you're not better for having lost him. Danny O'Neill, Paul Gallant. It's Danny and Gallant, seven ten ESPN Seattle. Our training camp coverage is presented by Precore Home Fitness. Coming up next, you know, the Seahawks offense it did not look particularly good yesterday. Does that mean we should be a little more concerned about the Shane Waldron experiment? We'll talk about that next.